Exactly. And that was actually one of the rules that we were looking at. We heard of the 2% rule. A lot of people say they're satisfied with the 1% rule. So of course we were like, okay, we can, we can do better than that. Let's find a 2% property. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Welcome, everybody. Today, I am very excited to be joined by a fellow Dayton native, Dylan Ritchie. And you are going to be amazed by his story. He is just crushing it right now. In this hot market, he is adding a ton of units. And uh, so I had to, once I met him and, and heard details of his story, I had to invite him on because I know you all will benefit from his story as well. So welcome, Dylan. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Chad. Thank you again for this opportunity. Yeah. So fellow Dayton native, local, I love it, and uh, all about Dayton. Born so, and raised. Born and raised Dayton, Ohio. I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad to be here and investing here. Awesome. Dayton's an up-and-comer. We got good things ahead. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm really, really happy to be a part of it. So to give some context for everybody, you started investing about how long ago? Uh, I bought my first duplex actually in uh, September of 19. September of 2019. So we are not even two years into this. Yes. And how many units do you currently have? Uh, I own 20. Uh, and then very, very soon we're going to be at the 24 mark. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're having a blast with it. All right. So so fill me in. I loved uh, when we were talking the other day, I loved the story of your first purchase that, you know, your residence. <laughs> yeah. That was it. So uh, I'm still in it. We are actually shooting this in the house that I bought. All right. On location. <laughs> On location. Right. Uh, ground zero where it started. <laughs> So, so share with everybody what that process was like, because that was a unique one. Yes, yes. Um, so my then, she's now my wife, very happy to have her with us here in the background, as you can tell. Um, so we were renting at the time uh, and still in the Dayton area. And our landlord was like, hey, uh, we're selling this place because we really, really like you. We're going to give you 60 day notice. Uh, versus 30 days notice but basically in 60 days there's going to be a for sale sign in the front yard how that works out for you uh, is up to you <laughs> so we had this itch to get into real estate and at that time just like a lot of people we were watching hgtv and all that other good stuff and we we're like oh my gosh like we can do this we we can flip houses let's buy a house uh you know we'll live in it and uh you know we'll renovate it all by ourselves and then we'll flip it and we were well, convinced we could do that in 90 days or less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every episode on HGTV, there's a little conflict in the middle, but it all, yeah. it works out. There's big numbers uh, yeah. at the end. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, uh, you know, we did our work. We actually, even before our landlord, you know, essentially gave us that 60 day notice, we were looking to purchase. Um, we had this idea that we were going to flip again. That's kind of how we started. So um, we had a couple markets we had our eyes on. So we ended up purchasing a home 
uh, we actually bought it in April of 18. And we bought this house. I knew as it listed, I knew that area very, very well, kind of street by street area that I knew. And uh, I knew when we bought it, it had at least $15,000 worth of equity in it. So again, we had this great idea that we were going <laughs> to live in this house. It's a three bedroom, uh, two bath house. It has a rectangular floor, pan, uh, floor plan as far as access goes. So uh, we bought it and we thought we could force the equity in it. Um, so we had this stellar idea that we would, in the middle of this rectangle, put up uh, two curtains. And when I say curtains, I mean like the commercial zipper curtains that you see um, to block off dust and asbestos and everything else in like a commercial construction zone. So we, uh, we blocked off half the house and that was, we took it down to the studs. And at the end of the day, when we were done, you know, we would go across on the other side of the curtain and kind of just dust quite literally whatever asbestos and everything else we were covered in on and, uh, you know, zip up that curtain and we would go back to regular life until we went on the other side of the curtain. And then when we were done with that half of the house, we just turned the curtain around and we did, uh, you know, we did the other side of that house. So um, I think the point that you and I connected on the most was my wife, my now wife, uh, supported me in this journey all along the way. Even when there was some doubt in her eyes, I knew she still supported me. And she was a champ all the way through until we got to the kitchen. And uh, (laughs) her breaking moment was when she came home and I was quite literally uh, doing dishes in a couple of different five gallon buckets and then just just the mental breakdown happened. So yeah. we realized the live and flip strategy was, was not going to be for us long-term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, you know, it's one thing to talk about the idea of living in one side of the house and working on the other for months, but living through it is a whole nother realm. Oh, and it took forever. It took forever. Um, I'm fortunate. My dad is very handy. He's a union electrician by trade. Uh, he learned a lot of the other trades as as he, uh, you know, grew in his career field, both working in residential and commercial. So I'm very fortunate that uh, he started this itch that I have, if you will, in real estate by uh, doing the trades, as well as he, uh, he flipped houses when I was younger. So he taught me a lot of stuff, you know, especially I think at the first house we worked on, I was probably like 13 or 14. And, uh, you know, I was always holding the end of the stick, asking a ton of questions, you know, or side by side with him. So, you know, I had this itch, and I was like, okay, you know, I, I can do this. 90 days, that's achievable. And uh, as I shared, it, it took like nine months. <laughs> we're like, we're never, we're never doing this again. Not, not that way, at least. Your wife is a trooper, nine months. Holy mackerel. Yeah. yeah I think that's she, awesome that you uh, grew up working on houses with your dad. I, you know, I did similar thing. My dad was a buy and hold investor. And so I didn't think anything of it. I thought everybody was out, you know working on rentals on the weekends and after school. And um, that, yeah. that's really great experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even, so, I mean, he was flipping houses, but at the same time, you know, I didn't realize until I was older and, you know, we started to talk very openly and I, I'm very fortunate. He was open about finances, personal finance, real estate, um, budgeting, all those type of things. He taught me at a very young age and he actually showed me, you know, his income, his credit, you know, his statements, all those things. Um, so I didn't realize until, you know, I grew up that he was kind of deploying the same strategy, every house that I lived at until, you know, I moved out on my own. 
uh, he either bought some type of foreclosure and or uh, I don't want to say fully distressed, like it's not like he was buying vacant properties and moving, you know, my uh, sister and I into them with him. But, uh, you know, they were semi-distressed and he was doing the same strategy. Sure. He would work by a, you know, distressed property. We would live in it and he would do a lot of the work himself on the weekends and evenings. And then uh, he would sell it and we would move again. So I kind of had that first thought because of him. But again, <laughs> very quickly, we changed. We did a hard pivot to the buy and hold <laughs> and uh, let's play landlord instead of live in flip. Well, when you had when you had this idea of the live in flip and you started telling your family and friends, what was the reaction of everybody else? Gosh. So the first reaction was, you know, everyone, I said it at first, everyone's like, oh, yeah, you guys are going to be like the next HGTV thing. That's going to be you guys, right? And then again, it was just a terrible, I mean, we learned a lot, but, uh, you know, in summary, it was just a terrible experience. So then we went to a lot of people just thought we were absolutely crazy. Um, because my wife and I both work nine to fives, uh, we're, we're nurses by trade. Um, and now we are both actually in leadership and administration. So they were like, how do you, why are you doing that 40 hours a week and then going home and working with your hands? Like, you know, a lot of people didn't understand, like you guys make enough on the W2, like, why are you, why are you even doing this? You know, you're just write it out, wait till, you know, 67 or whatever retirement age is now, you know? So what was your why when you started? What kept you going in that nine months of of, uh, living in a construction project? Yeah. I mean, very quickly, you know, much kind of like the beginning of real estate, there's that analysis paralysis stage, but you know, I knew Hales was going to be the one. So a lot of, a lot of the wise truthfully, you know, thinking like a little old man, I was like, I cannot wait to have a family. I know this is going to create not only wealth for myself, but um, you know, I like to use the phrase generational wealth. I'm not trying to do this just for Haley and I, I'm trying to do this for the next generation and then, you know, so on. So you know, as much frustration and everything we had, I'm like, I know what we're doing is going to work. And this is in that same timeline of that first property. I was like, we're only, we're not paying ourselves for our time really. So, you know, I knew our budget was going to be just materials. So I'm like, I know we're going to create a lot of equity in this property. And when we flip it, we wouldn't have to pay capital gains at that time. Um, so I, I figured we would just keep rolling it. That was the original thought again, was to keep buying, living them, rolling over all that equity and then make this big bolus. And then what we were going to do with it long-term, I don't know, but I knew there was a lot of equity to be had. That's awesome. Just uh, having that long-term perspective, understanding that the day-to-day, the short-term isn't pleasant. And yeah. it could be a lot better, but long-term it would all be yeah. worth it. Yeah. I knew no matter what, it was going to work out in our favor. It was just, uh, you know, how much time we wanted to sacrifice at that point. Yeah. So how did it work out with the first deal? Did you create that equity in your house? Um, Was it worth it? I guess is really the question. You know, from the flip standpoint, absolutely not. Uh, You know, I, I love the phrase people our phrase people say, you know, fail forward. You know, we uh, we yeah. took our lumps, we learned a ton. We did everything in this house ourselves except for the HVAC. Um, but 
quite literally everything else from getting up in the, the vaulted attic and, you know, blowing insulation, some minor roofing, uh, electrical plumbing, all that we did ourselves. So as far as the education piece, uh, I'm so glad we did it. As far as the flipping piece, we still haven't sold it. So I guess you could chalk that up as an absolute failure. Um, but then we made this pivot to, to the buy and hold. And that's kind of where I think our, our story has really become. Yeah. I mean, we're having a blast, just having a blast. So what was involved with that pivot? How did you go from HGTV flip to <laughs> yeah, right. buy and hold rental in Dayton? HGTV, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, how did you decide to give up your stardom? <laughs> yeah. Potential right. stardom to uh, right. buy right. rentals. Man, um, you know, we just looked at it and we're like, we did the timeline with it. We're like, we can we continue to do this? Yes. Will we create this bolus of equity and continue to roll it? Absolutely. But then we just did the math. We're like, okay, we thought we would do it in 90 days. It took nine months on this property and it's not a big property. It's, you know, 1400 square feet, three bedrooms, two baths in the grand scheme. It's a great, you know, starter home. But we're like, this is not sustainable. And for what we want to achieve, we just made it a timeline and it's like what we want and what's realistic with our timeline, they do not intersect when we want them to, unless we just give up everything as far as like fun, social life, family, all those things. And, and along the way we did, I mean, in that nine months we were telling people no all the time. And then we started to realize like our phone quit ringing and people quit texting us to say, Hey, do you want to hang out Friday or Saturday night? Cause they knew, you know, these two idiots are doing dishes in a five gallon bucket. You know, they don't have time to go grab brews or go to a birthday party. You know, we want to hang out with them. We have to help with the dishes in the bucket. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to go over there. Like they have, <laughs> they live on a slab, except for you can see the slab. Like there's no carpet and padding, you know, that was, was a super turnoff for everyone else. Um, so we just turned around and we're like, okay, I know real estate is what we want to do, but what other strategies are out there? So we began to educate ourselves and that's when buy and hold and, uh, you know, leveraging our W2 as far as our ability to mortgage properties at first. Um, and then that, that passive income, we're like, okay. So it became a math problem. Like how many properties do we need? How much money do we need each property to make? And at what point does that intersect with what we want? And that was something we could actually get, uh, you know, on multiple fronts within uh, an acceptable time frame on our part that, you know, we, we created that intersection and we're like, let's just, let, you know, let's continue to educate, but at the end of the day, let's do this. I think that's awesome. Uh, just the fact that it wasn't that you were frustrated with the flip model and, and running away from the flip model, you realized that it wasn't going to meet your needs or your yeah. aspirations, your goals. And so you found the, you know, you were going towards the rental model that wouldn't fit your goals. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. Absolutely. And uh, again, major kudos to her because she supported me when I was like, hey, I know I sold you for years on like, we're going to do this live and flip thing and everything else, but let's kind of pivot. I don't want to call it like a hard pivot because we stayed underneath that, you know, real estate umbrella. But I was like, hey, let's just change strategies and let's accept it up front instead of I mean, the alternative was we continue to do this thing. And then again, we give up years of time with mm. family, friends, everything else, miss a lot of opportunities as far as 
once in a lifetime opportunities and just sacrifice that for money, you know, that wasn't nearly as sexy as uh, making that pivot and then also enjoying life. Awesome. That's huge. I mean, anybody should uh, be inspired by that. The, the, the choice isn't whether to invest in rentals or um, whether to struggle with a flip. It was whether to pursue your dreams or whether to give up on them and settle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we really looked at it and we're like, okay, we can trade time for money and not enjoy it. Or we can try to make a lot of money and use that to buy time to really enjoy ourselves. And that's, that's kind of when this eyeball, you know, opened up, if you will. And we're like, okay, we can stay in this field because we love houses. Um, But then we can also enjoy it. That was really very important. Awesome. So what was the first rental deal like? How did you find it, fund it? Yeah, yeah. So we bought the single family home in 18, April of 18. We got to, it was around Christmas time. And that's when we were done with this house. And right around that same time, we're like, okay. You have a dishwasher by this point, right? Yeah, we finally got a dishwasher. The five-gallon <laughs> buckets are in the garage where they have never been touched since then. You kind of walk by and our stomach just flips, um, even looking at them. Five gallons of paint and mud just are not attractive. We skip that aisle at Lowe's altogether. Um, so we, uh, you know, we educated ourselves. And like a lot of people, we found like bigger pockets, started networking there's a local meetup in the date market pre-covid that met monthly so we started going to that um and really starting to talk to people opened our eyes and heard real life examples much like you know someone like yourself that's willing to take the time and uh, you know get to know someone that really was at the beginning um but seeing them at the tail end so we uh, we educated ourselves uh, had a little bit of analysis paralysis admittedly so we did not buy our first investment uh, rental property until it was uh, September of 19. So almost a year and a half later from when we bought our the house we're still living in. Uh, we bought a duplex and uh, it was just, it met our criteria. The numbers worked. Uh, we found it on the MLS actually with an agent. Uh, we bought it with a conventional loan. Um, Again, unfortunate. We have very, very, very strong W two. So as far as the financing piece, that wasn't overly difficult. You know, I mean, we did everything by the book as far as like buying a, you know, a standard buying process. We had inspection contingencies, we had financing contingencies, all that stuff. Um, I kind of digress. We ended up closing on that property in September of nineteen, and then, uh, you know, we just we just waited again kind of analysis paralysis again for a little bit got our feet wet well it's uh interesting that you got your first one in 2019 and it was on mls just because a lot of people you know a lot of investors had given up on mls by then so had it you know uh, had it been on there for a while did you bid low did you what, what was the bidding process like so we looked at, there's two zip codes that my wife and I started just to drive all the time. I mean, we know this area on a street by street area. Most of our properties are, are still in the very same area. We're still to this day buying these same two zip codes. So we saw it uh, hit the market. 
I got the automatic push notification from, uh, you know, the, uh, the portal that our real estate agent at the time set up and we just happened to be free. And it was like 15 minutes away. So we're like, okay, I just got the notification. This thing just hit, let's go drive by it. And, uh, it was in an area that we were familiar with. We ran the numbers, um, and we called and, uh, we actually made a sight unseen offer for full asking at that time because we knew they had listed low uh, duplexes in this area at that time were selling in like the $90,000 range and they listed it for a 70. And you could even kind of tell from the photos, even if they were hiding something, there really weren't anything major big ticket items. So we weren't too scared on that front. Um, so we made a full asking price offer contingent on a walkthrough. And uh, that's how we actually bought our first one. Sight unseen. Wow. Sight unseen outside of the listing photos. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Contingent on, on the walkthrough. And we walked through uh, that that uh, the next day. So what was the, I don't know, listening, it's, it's interesting that you had analysis paralysis for months and we're struggling on pulling the trigger on the first deal. And then the when you do pull the trigger, it's sight unseen, just like yeah. Katie bar the doors, we're going for it. Yeah. I didn't share this. I think it's important to note at that time, we were only strategizing two to four units. We were not looking at single family homes. So we felt very confident in these this two zip code area on what either like side by side or up down uh, duplexes, depending on if they were two bedrooms or three bedrooms. We weren't looking at one, one ones at all we felt very confident on what they were going for in the area, especially in decent like rental grade properties. So just that combination of, we knew the numbers, um, we knew the area. And then truthfully, a little bit of, uh, we had this pent up analysis paralysis frustration. So once this thing came across and it like, I mean, as quick as we could, it checked all the boxes, including driving by uh, that same evening. And I, I mean, I mean it. We drove by within like 20 minutes of getting that push notification. I mean, we're, yeah. we were there. Um, we we're like, let's pull this trigger. So you feel like your confidence in the offer was due to all of the analysis or months of looking at it, researching it? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Really being familiar with that area on a, a street by street area. Once we saw it hit, we were like, okay, this is a street we already know. There's no uh, boarded up vacant houses or, uh, you know, really rough looking areas, if you will. So, I mean, as soon as it hit, we're like, we just need to see it with our own eyes. Otherwise, we feel very confident that this is going to work out for us. And so when you started telling family and friends that after the overwhelming success of your single family home, now you were buying a double, what was the the reaction then? Uh you know, at that point, nobody really thought we were too crazy then. It hasn't been until like this last like six month window that people are like, no, seriously, you're, <laughs> you are both psychotic. What are you doing? How are you doing it? That kind of deal. At that time, you know, like I said, we were talking about it with our family and friends for a year and a half. So if anything, most people were like, oh my God, finally you did it. Like, we're so sick and tired of you talking about buying a property. We're happy to hear <laughs> you actually bought something, you know? Yeah. So if anything, I think we got a sigh of a relief from mo- most people because like, we can finally stop talking about that. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think you stopped talking about it though. <laughs> 
<laughs> buying the no. first one. I doubt suddenly you stop talking about real estate and buying deals. No, no, it, uh, we hung out, we hung out for a little bit. Um, and then we bought our next one in, uh, it was May, May of 20. Really? So there is a, yeah. a break between the first duplex and the next rental. Yeah. Much like the first time, you know, we're like, okay, we just made this pivot. Uh, we changed strategies. We bought our first buy and hold and we were just waiting for the creditors to call and pull our note or when are we going to go bankrupt or when is the tenant stop going to pay rent or when is this place going to blow up or who knows, you know, all those things that we were scared of. When's the 5 a.m., you know, the house is flooding phone call coming and none of those things happen. So we, uh, we finally were like, okay, let's, let's pull the trigger on another one. Sure. What was it like uh, managing that first one? Was it a good question? We had a, at that time we had a property manager Okay. right away. So um, we kind of had them lined up. We, we had a, a real estate agent that we were buying with, and then we had already vetted a property manager that we knew we were going to go with once we closed on something. Um, so that, as far as lining that part up, that was pretty seamless. It was, that part wasn't difficult. Sure. All right. So how was it with the growth after that? Because I know the last six months has just been on fire. Like at what point did you decide we're just going all in? Really? So we bought the next one in May of 20 and that was a house. Um, actually it was from like a personal relationship. Okay. So we bought that house and then we started to manage that house by ourselves after we, we turned it. And that was actually a pretty simple deal. Um, we bought that house for $37,000. We ended up putting about nine into it. And then we got it listed. We listed it on a Friday and we had it rented by Monday. Um, and then we were just like, okay, this makes sense. Like we can really do this. So, so okay. So your, your purchase was, would you say 37 Is that yep. right? ballpark put nine yep. in. So you're 46 all in. And what was the rent when you rented it? Uh, 850. 850. Nice. Yeah. 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 So that is just shy of 2%, right? Yeah. Pretty close. Absolutely. Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. That's awesome. Man, you know, I talked to a lot of people and they, uh, you know, they talk about the 2% rule like that's, uh, you know, looking for a fairy in the forest or something, you know, like those deals don't exist um, in this hot market. So I think that's awesome. Just yeah. Your go. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And that was actually one of the rules that we were looking at. We heard of the 2% rule. A lot of people say they're satisfied with the 1% rule. So of course we were like, okay, we can, we can do better than that. Let's find a 2% property. And again, it was a personal relationship. So as far as buying it, it was very seamless. We didn't have to have an agent. Um, we lined it up perfectly. We made it a win-win uh, for the lady that we bought it from. I have known her since I was, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14. She was actually moving in to live 
uh, with her mother who uh, had a quite a bit of health issues and required, uh, you know, uh, hands-on care around the clock. So she uh, was doing right by her mother and uh, she was honestly ready to give the house back to the bank. She was really frustrated because she was staying at her mom's house all the time. And she was coming back to the house that we bought simply to shower and make sure, you know, nobody busted out a window or was scoping uh, out the house, you know? And uh, what was that like when she reached out to you? How did she know you were buying? I actually, her daughter, who I'm close friends with, reached out to me. and She knew we had bought this duplex, which was five minutes away. And uh, I think we had made a Facebook post at that point, like real rookie, you know, just like two sentences, three sentences, like anyone trying to sell a house and these two zip codes hit me up. That was like the extent of our marketing. Um, what a post. Yeah. Effective, right? yeah, it worked. It worked. Yeah. Like two weeks later, I get this Facebook message from, uh, she was a good friend in high school at that point. And she was like, no, I'm, you remember this house? I'm like, absolutely. Like I, I absolutely remember this house. So I, you know, I drove by and talked to her mom and, you know, within 30 days we were at the closing table. That's awesome. Yeah. So many people I, I think get bogged down in the, I need to do direct mail and a texting campaign and yeah. you know all these complicated yeah. marketing strategies to get the word out yeah really just the first step i think is just tell everybody you know that you're looking to everyone. buy a house everyone almost yeah. to the point where be that annoying guy where they're like dude i don't want to be around dylan because i know <laughs> ask me, do i know if someone owns a house and these two zip codes that wants to sell um you know tell everyone yeah sure so where did it go from there? So we bought that house. Um, I'll look at my notes here. Yeah, we bought that in May of 19. So at that point, we're at three units, the rental units, and then four, if you want to count our primary residence that we own. Um, and since then, you know, now we're, we're into the 20s. So it turned into educating ourselves on raising private capital to creative financing, like seller financing. Um, and we've picked up properties that way between three and, you know, 20 or whatever we're at now, just trying anything and everything. I mean, just being as creative as possible and talking to the seller and just asking them like, what's a win for you? And then making that win a win for us as well. And then from there, it really becomes a math problem. It's awesome. So, I mean, a lot of people are scared of seller financing too. How did you, how do you get in contact with a seller to, to so, have that initial discussion, you know, to say, yeah. hey, what's a win for you? That's a great yeah. start, by the way. Great yeah. line. Yeah. Um, so we executed our first seller finance deal, actually, that strategy, telling anyone and everyone what we do. So, you know, when we first started this journey, people would ask Dylan, what do you do for a living? And I would say, I'm a nurse who buys houses on the side. Now, when everyone asks me, Dylan, what do you do? I just tell them I'm a real estate investor. If they find out I'm a nurse later, great. If not, I'm a real estate investor. And that's what I want you to know me as. Um, so we had, I already had that mindset and I was actually at uh, a get together for my grandmother who is in her, uh, in her early eighties, uh, grandma Patty, 
Um, Shout out to Grandma Patty. All so right. We're at this, at this, yeah, we're at this get together, and uh, somebody who I had not met is asking me, Hey, what do you do? And I told him I was a real estate investor. And while they didn't have any properties or anything, it turned into a pretty cool conversation. Well, there was a gentleman in the room who I knew of. I could pick him out of a lineup, I could tell you his first name. Um, I've been able to identify him almost my entire, you know, youth through adult life, but I had no idea he owned a ton of property. So his ears stuck up across the room. I didn't know this, but, uh, you know, he was kind of eavesdropping. So when I ended this interaction with the man I was talking to, uh, this guy named Dan came over to me and was like, Hey, I heard you talking. You're, you're trying to acquire properties and scale, you know, your business. I just happened to have you know, a decent sized portfolio and I'm, I'm ready to sell. Like, would you be interested in grabbing breakfast and, you know, talking about it? So that was, I think like a Thursday or a Friday. And then I spent like three hours with them the following Sunday at Panera. And uh, we pretty much came to almost a verbal agreement plus, uh, you know, contingent on walking through them after that first little get together. Awesome. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So once you, I mean, there had to be a mental, I'm just thinking of, you know, analysis paralysis before each deal. And all of a sudden the last six months it takes off and you're telling everybody, you know, and talking to sellers and negotiating creative deals. What was the, was there a, like something that happened or a spark or a moment that the floodgates opened? So I would contribute to probably three things. Um, one, uh, my father uh, and his little background, the whole real estate thing. And then, you know, now that I understand a lot in this moment, he's been kind of inadvertently training me for this. Uh, he's a big wheel and deal guy. Uh, he is phenomenal at it. It's a, it's an art again, shout out, uh, shout out to you, dad, uh, John Ritchie, you're killing it as far as that front goes. Um, I remember him buying my first car at a swap meet and this like little light bulb went off. I just remember watching him haggle with this guy back and forth. And it was just beautiful. He bought me this 1964 Pontiac Catalina, my first car, which was a boat, by the way, if you look up this car, everyone, you know, Google it when you're done 1964 Pontiac Catalina, it's as big as my house. Um, So I watched him haggle with this guy and I've always had that itch. That paired with, um, I met one of my best friends, Ryan, who is just killing it in this local market. I met him at this time frame, and he's buying like 100 houses a week or something stupid like that. So my fears of buying one or two at a time were like, okay, if he can do that, I think I can figure this out, you know? Um, and then finally, it was just kind of after having a couple of them and realizing this is not that bad, like houses don't blow up spontaneously. Uh, They don't spontaneously flood. People don't enlarge, call you all the night throughout the night. You know, all those three, all those three things lining up was like, let's just, let's just jump in. The only thing I'm afraid of is, you know, disappointing myself. So let's just, let's just line these things up. Like I have the support. I have the, I have the funds. Let's do this. Awesome. I love that uh, you mentioning being around Ryan, Ryan Ingram, who has been on the podcast twice talking about uh, 
his getting a start and then switching to self-managing his rentals. And yeah, he is on fire. Always. I love those guys to death. You know, I will, I'm not going to sit here and attribute everything I'm doing, you know, to them at the end of the day, I had to execute, but truthfully, if it wasn't for those two guys, I can't confidently say I would be sitting exactly where I'm at. I think I would be on the same timeline, but both of them, both of them have been nothing but a huge support. And uh, even though they're not from here, they have the same passion and belief in Dayton, you know, that you and I share, Chad, and they genuinely love this place. So that, that passion for the local area paired with the passion of real estate, it just having those two guys in my corner, it's just been, it's huge. You can't, I feel yeah, you like, can't calculate it. It's just, it's just been huge. Yeah. And I, I really think so the hundredth episode of the podcast is coming up. And so I've been thinking about, you know, like what are some of the major themes that have been going over and over in all these episodes and being around people who are further along than you is probably the number one thing that comes up in all of these interviews. Yeah. Yeah. That, That growth and being able to get ahead faster was due to being around somebody who'd already been through it or was a little further along. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I kind of kicked myself in the butt. I met Ryan. I say met, I was in the same room as Ryan, that local real estate meetup that we mentioned earlier. It was a monthly, it was the first Monday of the month. I saw him there probably four or five months before I even approached him. And then even when I showed up, I was just got that scared guy. I was just sitting in the corner <laughs> creeping on everyone, like trying to eavesdrop every once in a while. Uh, well, wouldn't really introduce myself again. I was a nurse who kind of bought houses. I was not a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe in myself really that much at that time. So it took, you know, the courage and eventually I approached him and I was like, Hey, let's go to lunch, man. Like on, let's figure out a good time for that. And you know, that very first lunch, he was like, dude, you, you get this, just, just pull the trigger, you know, quit being a wuss at honestly, you know, you, you know what you're doing, just get it done. And, uh, and I still so, talk to him every day. It's awesome. And he wasn't put off by you asking him to go out to lunch, right? He wasn't offended by you asking him. No, he's great. Yeah. He's great, man. And he I is think- so approachable. Uh, you know, even if he, kind of chuckles it's one of those things like he's laughing with you he's not laughing at you um and he does a really good job of building people up he, he really does especially in the uh personal growth as well as uh real estate investing he does a, a phenomenal job awesome well and i feel like so many times people you know feel intimidated by reaching out to to other investors who are further along and in general, all the investors who I know who have achieved some level of success and have been investing for a while are happy to help. You know, yeah. they're glad to share what they've learned and encourage others who are starting. And there's really no need to, for that intimidation. Not at all. I don't think. I don't think I've ever been told no, you know, I mean, I've had people say like, no, I'm, I'm ridiculously busy because I own this business as well as like 10 other businesses or whatever. Like I can set up a phone call with you. Unfortunately, you know, I can't set aside an hour and a half and go to lunch or something like that. But yeah. you know, whether it was texting or a phone call or something like that in our local market, I have not met anyone that was like, 
just blow me off, you know. Yeah. Especially when they do a little bit of background and they realize, no, you're you're serious. Sure. So I'm assuming you have four that you're close on closing. You're gonna have 24 units. I'm assuming 24 units isn't the end. You have aspirations for going further, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we uh I started this journey. I, when I wrote this goal on my vision board, I was 27 at the time. And I was like, okay, I want to have 50 units by the time I'm 40. Um, I will turn 29 in November and we're, we're about halfway there. So I think we need to recalculate that goal. Um, but so. yeah, there was definitely a goal in mind. We had 50 units. We knew what number we needed per door to make up, uh, you know, our income at that time so that we could at least live exactly at, uh, how we live today without having to go to work. So what is your, you know, like when your friends look at what you and your wife are doing and the way you're spending your weekends and evenings and continuing to hustle and go for more deals when you've achieved this level of success already, you know, what is your why that keeps you going, that keeps you, you know, pursuing it and pushing further ahead? Honestly, that generational wealth piece, you know, I'm, I'm confident I'm, I'm going to figure this out for, you know, my wife, my children and I, I don't think we're, we're ever going to go without, or we're going to go hungry, you know, in short, but I really, really want to figure this out so that, you know, my kids and their kids' kids can have something where we can really hand it down and make, uh, you know, I think for a buzz phrase, like a legacy with it. And the cool part is you know, I'm born and raised in this area. One of the, the two zip codes that we're talking about, I, I grew up in both of those zip codes. So the fact that they are one of the hottest real estate markets as far as rental properties go in this area, and depending on where you look at, Dayton, Ohio is listed you know, nationally, uh, in a lot of real estate, uh, rental metrics, if you will, popular rental metrics. So the fact that I grew up and I'm buying in this area, it just makes it so much cooler because Dayton, if you're familiar with the area, while it's a great market, there's so many houses in that same area that I've been, I rode my bike by and they were boarded up or in terrible condition and are now boarded up. So to turn around and be targeting those properties and then making quite literally my home and my home place better, that just makes it even cooler, man. Like that's why I say when we're having a blast, like that piece for me personally is really freaking cool. It, it's been really, really fun, especially awesome. showing friends and family who grew up in this area. Like remember that house we used to drive by? Like not only do I own that damn thing, like, we made it phenomenal. Like last time you saw it, there was no windows or, you know, the roof looked like a meteor just went through it. You know, now it has shingles on it and it doesn't, uh, doesn't have a, a skylight in it. That's not meant to be a skylight. <laughs> Open air skylight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. If you were a real estate agent, you know, you would list this one as like well aerated. Yeah. Know, like that. <laughs> Yeah. Plenty of natural light, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Captures the elements year round. Yeah. So I'm sure that there will be plenty of people who listen to this podcast who may be in their 20s 
struggling, maybe they have aspirations of building a portfolio or, you know, getting that start into real estate, what would be something, you know, a word of encouragement you would give to them? You know, like most things, you definitely need to do your homework and you need to understand, you know, what your market, especially if you're going to target real estate, you know, you need to know what your market's like. Um, I think you need to pick a niche. If you want to do buy and hold, if you want to do flip, you know, if you want to, I mean, there's a bunch of other creative strategies without going too far in the weeds. I think you need to pick one area. But once you do your homework and everything else, I think it comes down to that next step is talking to the Chads and the Ryans and everyone else and really getting their story. And then, you know, the last step is just pulling the trigger. You really got to jump in, just get that first one. You can get your feet wet. It's totally okay to, (laughs) you know, drag your feet for a year and a half after that point, but at least pull that trigger on that first one. And then from there, I think you build that self-confidence and then it just becomes so much fun. So much fun. Awesome. Yeah, just keep taking one step after the other, keep pushing forward. Yeah. And uh, no, it, you know, if you're not around people investing, I think that's a great tip. Just get around others who are doing it. And yeah. you, you start to feel more comfortable. You see other people doing these deals all the time. Yeah. So it's awesome. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's huge that uh, uh, Darren and his wife, I started that monthly meetup. That was huge. That was huge. I mean, the people that I hang out with all the time and I spend all my time on the phone with, uh, you know, if I did not meet them directly there, I met them through someone that went there. So even though it was once a month when I was getting my feet wet, just going there and being in that room, why I didn't talk to anyone and I was that weirdo for like, (laughs) you know, a couple months, just being around those people and just absorbing what they were doing and how it works seeing with my own eyes that okay yeah i've read this in a book but it's really as simple as two adults sitting down and talking and trying to figure out this math problem and genuinely making it a win-win for both parties that's all this game is how can you how can you make it a win-win yeah awesome yeah you're not trying to uh get one over on somebody. You're not trying to take advantage of a bad situation. And you can, you're, you can, absolutely. You can probably get a couple of those, but then the one of the most important parts of this, which we haven't really talked about is your reputation and the fact that like your face is out there. Yeah. While, you know, Dayton houses so many thousand people, I don't know the metrics at the end of the day, as far as like the real estate investing network, in the grand scheme, it's really not that big. You know? So yeah. you will get a reputation for being this grimy, slimy, just looking to steal from someone else. And before you know it, there's not going to be that much out there for you. Yeah. And if somebody gets a reputation like that, it's really hard to get rid of that reputation. It is. It is. You know, I have a lot of people hold close to their best, like who their best contractor or who their best of something is, but ask anyone like, Hey, who should I avoid? And everyone's just got a roster. I mean, it's like a scroll, you know, like don't talk to this person. Don't talk to that person. If you're looking for plumbing, not this guy, don't do this guy for electric. You know, those people, no one is afraid to share their name. Yeah. Completely true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share your story. And I know a lot of people are going to be really inspired by it.
Um, if people want to, you know, keep in touch with you and follow along as you uh, continue on your journey to build your legacy wealth, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'll, uh, I guess I'll, I'll share my email with you. And then, you know, Facebook's a great way to get a hold of me. Um, come to that local meetup. I think they're actually going to start it back up in, in April, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's, so. Uh, yeah, April's in person again. Yeah, so it's the first, I believe, unless they change the date, is it still the first Monday of the month? Yes. I don't know. We might have to share that one. I apologize. I am not readily uh, caught up with that one, but I know... Uh, you know, there's a local meetup. The first I'm, or I'm there every month. Yeah. Yeah. Every we month. haven't met in a while. So yeah, forget about yeah. the first or second, but yeah. yeah. In Fairborn. So, yeah. All right. Well, I really encourage anybody listening to uh, reach out to Dylan on Facebook. Um, email him with any questions or if you want to get in touch with him or if you want to be in person with the man mm -hmm. then uh, show up to the fairborn group in april or anytime after so again dylan thank you very much for being on appreciate it i mean i want to say man thanks so much for this opportunity this is this is so cool so thank you again for this awesome i'll talk to you soon Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.